This episode is brought to you by the final season of Game of Thrones on HBO. Critics hail the series as TV's greatest show of all time and era-defining. For your Emmy consideration, an outstanding drama series in all other categories. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Awardist, the podcast for Emmy voters, their friends, TV fans, and our families. I'm Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with two of my favorite people, Lynette Rice, Editor-at-Large at Entertainment Weekly. Hello. Hello, I am your family. You are. And Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly. Hello. Hi, I am your weird aunt. <laughs> Before we went on the air, we were just discussing our favorite TV shows of all time, and Kristen, um, will you show your answer, please? Oh, The Wire. Uh, and you didn't agree with my answer, which is Melrose Place, which I was saying only half facetiously. <laughs> only half. It's hard because I I, I feel I have like, uh, it's it, it's very much a Sophie's choice, but I do feel like I have a spot in my heart for Melrose Place as number one, but also as like a TV critic slash like legitimate person, I I must go with The Wire. I was put on the spot once when asked if I'm about my favorite TV show, and literally the only thing that came to mind was Melrose Place. And I was so, and I said it out loud on a on somebody's podcast, and I don't think I'm ever going to live it down. <laughs> you know what? Just lean into it, Henry. Just own it now. The, the Wire, The Sopranos, even Six Feet Under, Mary Tyler Moore, All in the Family. There are all these great TV shows out there, and I was like, Melrose Place. <laughs> That is honestly your brain. I love the way that it works, and it just it just went there to taunt you. It really, really did. We will not be talking about Melrose Place anymore, I promise, during this episode of The Awardist. We will be talking about um, the lead actor in a comedy series and supporting actor in a comedy series. We also have a great guest um, later on the show. Kristen, tell us who you interviewed. I interviewed Ricky Gervais, who has a new show on Netflix called Afterlife, which I absolutely loved. It's very funny. It's very moving. And uh, he has that very uh, iconic laugh, and I, you will get to hear it during the interview. That is a great promise, and can't wait to, I hear you have a great conversation with him, I can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> um, but let's dive into lead actor in a comedy series. Kristen, why don't you take us through a little bit of a history in this category, who's won the past few years, and stuff like that. Sure. So the last four winners in this category, in 2014, it was Jim Parsons for The Big Bang Theory. In 2015 and 2016, it was Jeffrey Tambor for Transparent. In 2017, it was Donald Glover for Atlanta. And the nominees last year, we had Anthony Anderson from Blackish, Ted Danson from The Good Place, Larry David as Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Donald Glover from Atlanta, William H. Macy on Shameless, and Bill Hader as Barry on Barry. And he was the winner. I know I'm in the wrong here, and the two of you are going to scold me for this. You both adore Barry, and I was not able to get into it. Like, what am I missing here? If you go in sort of expecting a, you know, wacky hitman comedy, you'll get that. But there's also so much very dark and uh, sort of moving and, and extremely dark comedy that uh, can be a little jarring if you're not ready for it. It's it's definitely a, a specific type of comedy, so I can see why it might be a little polarizing. It's fun seeing Bill as something other than this one-dimensional 
incredible comedian from SNL. We know him for all uh, the imitations that he does. And, I mean, he's he's bar none just the funniest guy. But, yes, the, I mean, the dark part, you see the heavy drama that he's faced with in the show. And it's just been – it was such an eye-opener. And I feel personally responsible for that win, too, because he was the first one that we interviewed for this podcast. And so I think because of us, he got that uh, statue. I'm just saying. So to put it out there, anyone who gets interviewed by this podcast is going to win an Emmy. Pretty much. Ricky Gervais, here it comes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Lynette, talk to us about a little history in this category. Is it a diverse category as far as winners go? Who's won a lot? All right, some fun trivia for this category. Uh, not counting Alec Baldwin, who technically was never a regular. Uh, Bill Hader is the first SNL alum to win in this category, which is pretty extraordinary considering how long both the Emmys and SNL have been around. Uh, Donald Glover was the first African-American actor to win in this category since Robert Guillaume from Benson in 1985. So not a diverse category particularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a, yes, yeah. Uh, and the most awarded people in this category, four awards apiece. That would be Michael J. Fox, Kelsey Grammer, Carol O'Connor, Jim Parsons. And here's a fun little piece uh, of info. If he's nominated and wins this year, he will be the most lauded actor, and I know that's a feel-good thing for you, Henry. All right, Lynette, I'm going to take you to task a little bit. Michael J. Fox, Kelsey Grammer, and Carol O'Connor, do you think Jim Parsons is a better actor than the three of those people? Oh, that's so... I don't think... I, we can't do this. We can't do this. <laughs> All right, Kristen, I'll pose you the question, then. <laughs> Michael J. Fox, Kelsey Grammer, Carol O'Connor, Jim Parsons. Is Jim Parsons a better actor than the other three men? No. I mean... I I also, I appreciate what Jim Parsons does. I think he does one thing quite well. I would probably say he's not even equally as good an actor as any of those men. But I, I also know that by saying this, I am hurting Lynette deeply. And I don't like to do that. Well, and I mean, let's let's keep in mind, Michael J. Fox was playing one particular note for Family Ties. And he played that over and over again. No, but then he won for Spin City, too, I believe. And then, like, let's not forget the good, the good wife, and uh, and curb your enthusiasm, where he played himself and worked his Parkinson's into the comedy. So that's the key here: is that it's it's apples and oranges because Michael amassed those trophies from multiple roles, whereas Kelsey. Now, I mean, putting Jim up against Kelsey, I mean, that's that's quite hard because I loved Kelsey. But I just don't feel like it's fair to compare Jim to Michael J. Fox. So let's just at least get him out of that list. So talk to us. We know who's been awarded the most in this category. Lynette, what are some snubs that still hurt? There are so many um, interesting snubs. This is some fun uh, Emmy trivia. So Jerry Seinfeld. Wow. I mean, five nominations. Uh, uh, he's never won. The, nowadays, his only chance of possibly getting an Emmy is for his uh, show, Comedians in, in the Car Getting Coffee. But he has to go in the Variety Talk series, which is difficult, so maybe he won't. But five nominations, wow. No no win. Dennis Leary, he was nominated three times but never won for Rescue Me. That seems absurd. Steve Carell. This is quite extraordinary. Six nominations, no wins for The Office. I think that's a guy that if you stop people on the street, they would naturally assume that he won. Um, some others, uh, these dudes had seven nominations each, have not won once. That would be John Goodman for Roseanne, Matt LeBlanc. That's obviously for Friends. And, and then finally, seven noms, no win for the great Hal Linden, which is a crime. All right, can I quiz you guys on some Emmy trivia in this category? 
Rank these men in the order of number of nominations they have received. Alec Baldwin, Tony Shalhoub, William H. Macy, and Fred Savage. Fred Savage. All right, I'm going to say, and I'll probably be exactly wrong like I was last time, I'm going to go Macy, Shalhoub, Baldwin, Savage. Okay, did you write that down? Macy, Shalhoub, Baldwin, Savage. Okay, um, here's mine. Okay. And I know mine's right. Um, <laughs> Shalhoub, William Macy, Savage, Baldwin. All right, so Lynette's closer, but no cigar either way. Tony right. Shalhoub with eight nominations. Then Alec Baldwin with seven. Uh. William H. Macy with five. And Fred Savage only with two. In 2003, the following men were nominated for an Emmy in this category. Who won? Tony Shalhoub, Larry David, Matt LeBlanc, Bernie Mac, Eric McCormick, or Ray Romano? Shalhoub? Well, it's definitely not Ray Romano. Definitely not the one that you said before that. Uh, I don't think Larry David. What was the one after Shalhoub? Tony Shalhoub, Larry David, Matt LeBlanc, Bernie Mac. Eric McCormick and Ray Romano. Bernie Mac. Kristen is right. Ding, ding, ding. Dang it's Tony you. Shalhoub. Can you believe this category? And Tony Shalhoub. Was no. Like, no, it's just not fair. I mean, Matt. I mean, Matt LeBlanc. What was that for? Was that for? That was for one of the final seasons of Friends. It's such a crime that he never won for Friends. I agree completely. All right, final question: Actors representing which network have received the most awards in the Best Actor category? Oh, we're just supposed to throw out names? Just a ne- or a network. What network has won the most awards in this category? Oh, NBC. Yeah, I was going to say NBC. Ding, ding, ding. Right again. NBC with 26 and CBS Follows with 19. Literally the easiest question. All right, Kristen, what is the award that they should actually give in this category that they don't? This is an Emmy I wish they handed out. I would like to see outstanding performance by a schlubby guy paired with a hot actress as his on-screen wife. If there's anything television is really good at, it's normalizing the concept of inter-attractiveness marriages. It's a concept that's long been part of TV history, beginning way back in 1955 with the Honeymooners, when the portly bus driver Ralph Cramden somehow convinced a gorgeous redhead named Alice to be his wife. So I am proposing a special sort of lifetime achievement style Emmy that would codify this dubious TV tradition. Nominees would include Kevin James for The King of Queens, where he was married to Leah Remini, and Kevin Can Wait. His, his character was briefly married to a hottie named Aaron Hayes, but then they killed her off. James Belushi, of course, for According to Jim, he was married to Courtney Thorne Smith. Mark Addy, who was married to Jamie Gertz in a CBS sitcom called Still Standing. Mike O'Malley for Yes, Dear, who was married to Jean Louisa Kelly. And finally, this one's still going on, Ed O'Neill, married to Sofia Vergara on Modern Family. I would give that prestigious award to Jim Belushi for According to Jim, who was married to Hot to Trot Courtney Thorne Smith. But you're basing your win simply from, from like a disgust level. I mean, he just turns your stomach so much. I mean, I feel like we still need to honor their acting prowess, right? <laughs> this is really just about like actorly hubris it takes to be like, yeah, I'm Kevin James. And it makes total sense that Leah Remini would be married to me. 
honestly, to me, I would say Kevin James is the winner, but you know, it's a tough call, Henry. Let's move on from that to the people who are actually have a chance of winning this Emmy this year for Best Comedy Actor. Kristen, let's start our draft with you. Who would be your first pick as a nominee in this category? I am going to say, uh, we talked about him before, I think Bill Hader for Barry. I think he had another great season, um, a lot of very dark stuff and very funny stuff. Uh, he's obviously, you know, this is a show that voters like, so I think he's going to get another nomination. Lynette, who is your first pick? I'm going to say Michael Doug- Douglas for Netflix's The Kaminsky Method. I don't believe all voters have watched every episode of Kaminsky Method, but it is kind of an, an insider take on Hollywood, too, which, of course, Hollywood loves. Uh, and he's Michael Douglas. I think they dig the fact that uh, he's doing this comedy, and he is charming in it. Okay, my first pick is Ted Danson from The Good Place, who is an Emmy favorite, of course, from his years dating back on Cheers. I think he will absolutely be nominated again, and um, deservedly so. He plays Michael, the um, sort of devil turn, trying to make amends on the show, and he had a terrific season. I, um, if you haven't watched The Good Place, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite comedies on TV. All right, back to me. I'm going to say Jim Carrey for Kidding on Showtime. It's not a show that a ton of people saw or talked about, but he really gives a great performance. He plays sort of a Mr. Rogers type character who uh, slowly is having uh, a type of mental breakdown, but also an awakening about uh, himself. And he is very funny in it, but it's not, you know, all rubber faces and Ace Ventura sound effects. It's more, it's a much more uh, emotional performance. I'm going to say Jim Parsons. Uh, This field's this feels obvious because of the last season and also because the ending was really sweet and uh, uh, he had and he was just great in the episode. Okay, um, my final pick is John Goodman for The Connors. Um, nobody knew if that show was going to work after um, the Roseanne debacle and it really ended up working quite well and it's no, in no small part due to him and his portrayal of Dan and how lived in and comfortable he makes that character and it, he makes it seem easy or, even though I imagine it's not an easy character to play and it couldn't have been an easy show to put on after everything that happened. So I'm going to go with John Goodman. So what do you think of our list? We have Bill Hader, Michael Douglas... Ted Danson, Jim Carrey, Jim Parsons, and John Goodman. I feel like hopefully, I mean, there's sometimes seven in this category, right? I think Anthony Anderson from Blackish will probably sneak in there as well. I agree with you. I also wonder, Schitt's Creek has become such a huge show because it debuted on Netflix and Twitter absolutely loves it, like TV Twitter loves it. And I'm wondering if Eugene Levy is going to sneak into this category. I think that could happen for sure. Um, I think, you know, there's definitely been sort of a second life with that show as people found it on Netflix. All right. I'm going to start with the Let Me Plead Fours. These are people who may or may not get nominated, but um, we would desperately like to see them recognized in this category. Mine is Rob Delaney from Catastrophe. I don't know if you all watched Catastrophe or even even saw its final season. It was such a 
sweet and lovely show with an edge. He is just terrific. I did an FYC event with him, as a matter of fact. I interviewed him and Sharon Hogan, his co-star. Um, they're absolutely as lovely a person as they are on the show and have such wonderful chemistry. And what I didn't know about them is they actually met over Twitter and like were fans of each other and decided to write the show together, which got picked up from Amazon and had four seasons. So it ended on a nice note as well. So I'd love to see some Emmy love for Rob Delaney. Lynette, who is yours? I know that you selected him as a nominee, but I want to plead for John Goodman, and not just because he's been nominated seven times with no wins. Uh, I think it takes a master artist to not only hold the attention, but to elevate everyone else in the room, and he does that effortlessly. Plus, he just seems like a nice, decent, and patient guy. Kristen, who is yours? All right, mine is William Mother Effing Zabka for Cobra Kai. He really embodied the 80s movie Bully, and then he did a really good job playing a parody of that character and of himself in How I Met Your Mother. But with Cobra Kai and in season one and two, he, he's giving a really wonderfully well-rounded performance as the adult Johnny Lawrence, and he handles the poignant emotional stuff and the hilarious sort of action comedy bluster with equal aplomb. And I think he's just a really underrated performance right now. So I hope, uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would love to see him get a little love. Fingers and toes crossed. Lynette is shooting me a look. (laughs) (laughs) The look is saying, you ding me for loving the Big Bang Theory. Kristen gets away. Have either of you watched Cobra Kai? I love William Zabka. Uh, I just, I'm thinking more about the long-shottedness of it all. He doesn't have a snowball's chance, but I would love for it to happen. But if Kristen gave Emmys, he would have all of them. He would. All of them. Do you know that he's an Oscar nominee, by the way? I did not. For what? He directed a short film that was an Oscar-nominated short film. When we recently interviewed him on EW Radio, I made sure to introduce him as Oscar nominee William Zabka. <laughs> he probably really liked yeah, that, he too. Liked that. <laughs> Kristen, are you president of his fan club? I may as well be. All right, well, up next, we're going to be talking about a supporting actor in a comedy series, so stay tuned for that. This episode is brought to you by Game of Thrones on HBO. Game of Thrones has critics raving the final season is the biggest show on TV and era-defining, and TV's greatest show of all time. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding drama series and all other categories, visit hbo.com FYC for more on Game of Thrones. Hello and welcome back to The Awardist, the podcast for... Emmy voters, TV fans, and our families. I'm Henry. I'm here with Lynette and Kristen. And we're going to be talking about the supporting actor in a comedy series category. Kristen, do you want to take us through a little bit about the history of this category? Sure. So here's some previous winners. In 2014, we had Ty Burrell from Modern Family. In 2015, we had Tony Hale. In 2016, we had Louis Anderson for Baskets, and in 2017, Alec Baldwin for Saturday Night Live. Who were the nominees last year, Lynette? Okay, 2018 nominees, that was uh, Louis Anderson for playing Christine Baskets on Baskets, Alec Baldwin for playing Donald Trump on SNL, Titus Burgess playing Titus on Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Brian Tyree Henry for playing a character with the best name on television, Paperboy, that's B-O-I, 
from Atlanta. Uh, Tony Shaloub for playing Abe on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Keenan Thompson for playing various roles on SNL. And who was the winner? Henry Winkler for playing Gene on Barry. That was a great Emmy moment. Kristen, do you think that when an award happens like this, do you think it is actually for just that role, or do you think it's more of a lifetime achievement award, which he totally deserves, of course? A little bit of both. I don't think this was as much of a Lifetime Achievement Award as Al Pacino's Oscar for Scent of a Woman was a Lifetime Achievement Award. I think that Henry Winkler gives a great performance in Barry. He's so funny and like such a different role for him as that acting teacher, Gene Cousineau. But I do think there's a little bit of like, you have this deep well of nostalgia and love for somebody that's got to play into it as well. This category is going to be interesting this year. Brian Tyree Henry is not eligible because Atlanta didn't air a season. And uh, you're going to have all these guys from Veep who were, they weren't eligible last year who are going to be have an influx in this category. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. And in fact, Tony Hale could actually be nominated for two different roles this year for his work as Buster Bluth on Arrested Development and on Veep as well. So that will be interesting to watch. Um, Kristen, is this a diverse category uh, far, as far as winners go? So no African-American has won in this category since uh, Robert Guillaume did for Soap. In 1979, he played Benson. It's so freaking funny. Obviously, there's a there's a... I'm looking to see. It's not a super diverse group of actors in the mix this year either. So, no, this is not necessarily a uh, particularly diverse category. Lynette, what are some snubs that still hurt in this category? First off, Jason Alexander, he was nominated seven times, never won for uh, Seinfeld, which is extraordinary. Uh, Chris Noth was never, ever once nominated for Sex in the City for playing Big, and that makes me sad. That makes me sad. Uh, Tracy Morgan, he was nominated once for SNL and once for 30 Rock. Still hasn't won. And then Peter Boyle, beloved Peter Boyle, he was nominated seven times for Everybody Loves Raymond. Never won. Kristen, what is the award that they should give in this category that they don't? The Emmy that I wish they handed out is Outstanding Performance as the Wacky Neighbor on a Three-Camera Situation Comedy. So as I was looking at the history of this supporting actor in a comedy category, I noticed that the Academy has long since recognized the art of wacky neighbordom. William Frawley, who played Lucy and Ricky's neighbor Fred Mertz on I Love Lucy, was nominated in this category five times, but he never won. So I'd love for the Academy to retroactively honor some of TV's best wacky male neighbors. Some nominees could include Earl John Hindman as Wilson, the never-seen neighbor on Home Improvement, Jaleel White as Steve Urkel on Family Matters, Richard Klein as Larry, Jack's Lothario friend on Three's Company, Sean Hayes, of course, as Jack on Will and Grace, Michael Richards as Cosmo Kramer on Seinfeld, and William Frawley as Fred Mertz on I Love Lucy. Do you have a favorite, Henry? I love the idea of giving the Home Improvement Neighbor an award because he was never <laughs> shown on TV. That would be kind of amazing. It really would. Lynette, who's your favorite out of that? I have hands down. You don't even have to give me other names. It's William Frawley. William Frawley is the wacky neighbor. He is the OG of wacky neighbors. I did love the guy who plays Larry on Three's Company, too, just because he was Me such a um, D-bag. He always wanted to go down to the Regal Beagle and pick up chicks. That's you right. Know what? The if Regal there was Beagle. a Regal Beagle in the bottom of her office building, I'd be there, too. We should. That would be so great. I have a friend out here who looks like he lives in the building he lives in. It looks like the one that Jack lived in. Let me quiz you guys about some trivia in this category. First off, what is the TV program with the most nominations in this category? Seinfeld? Frasier. No. 
Good guesses all around, but it was MASH. Gary Berghoff, McLean Stevenson, Harry Morgan, Mike Farrell, and David Ogden Steers all were nominated at various points in time. Second question, true or false, Schneider from One Day at a Time was nominated in this category. I feel like he was. Schneider from One Day at a Time? Yes. Correct. Follow-up, it was 1984. Did he win, or did George Went from Cheers win? George Went from Cheers won. I'm going to say that Schneider won just because I'm doing a George Costanza and, and going the opposite way of my gut. Ding, ding, ding. Kristen is correct. Schneider from One Day at a Time has an Emmy Award. Like, when I dig up these trivia, a lot of times, like, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. This one, like, stunned me. Next question. Who won this award for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy in 1990? The nominees were Kelsey Grammer for Frasier, as Frasier on Cheers. Woody Harrelson as Woody on Cheers. Charles Kimbrough as Jim on Murphy Brown. Alex Rocco as Al on the famous Teddy Z. Jeez. And Jerry Van Dyke as Luther on Coach. Van Dyke? I think it's Van Dyke. You are both incorrect. Alex Rocco <laughs> as Al on the famous Teddy Z. I, I just really hate these <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah. He beat out Kelsey Grammer, Woody Harrelson, Charles Kimbrough, and Jerry Van Dyke. Let me know who that is. All right, so I they messed either. that one up, but maybe they got it right in, two, in 1992, two years later. Let's check. In 1992, the nominees were Jason Alexander as George on Seinfeld, Charles Durning as Herlin on Evening Shade, Harvey Firestein as Mark on Cheers, Michael Jeter as Herman on Evening Shade, Jerry Thomas as Jerry on Murphy Brown, and Jerry Van Dyke as Luther on Coach. The second one. Charles Durning? Correct. I want to say the first Jerry. Weren't there two Jerry's? There's Jerry Thomas as Jerry on Murphy Brown, correct. That's what I want. Okay, you are both incorrect. It was Michael Jeter as Herman on Evening Shade. This category was my favorite one to dig up trivia for because it's just so, so, so rich. All right, let's turn our attention to who we think is going to be nominated in this category this year. Kristen, I believe you went first last time, so Lynette, it is your turn to go first. Who is your first draft pick for um, this category? Most definitely last year's winner, Henry, Henry Winkler. Henry, I feel like I was saying Henry Winkler. <laughs> Any explanation, Any, or are you just going to let it hang there? I'm just going to let it hang there. He hasn't disappointed again this season. It was he's just was so much fun. But um, this is such a unique role for him. And, and and for anyone who hasn't sampled the show, he's the reason to really check it out. He plays this acting coach. He's so into it. He's so serious about it, too. And you can't help but laugh with everything he says. I love it. Okay, my first pick in this category is Tony Hale, who plays Gary on Veep. This final season of Veep was extraordinary, and in no small part to Tony Hale, who was just constantly whispering in Selena Meyer, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, her ear, and the most random stuff. His character had a lot of ambition this year, and of course, in typical Veep fashion, it did not go very well. And he's just such a pro and a joy to watch in that role. The way he delivers, did, do you want six almonds, is like, honestly, incredible. Um, all right, my pick is from Barry, but I'm going to go with Anthony Kerrigan, uh, who plays NoHo Hank on Barry, and he had a beefed-up role this season. He's a Chechen mobster, but he's also really, like, a polite... He wants. He really wishes that he could work in the hospitality industry because he loves to host people and, and throw parties and things like that. He's so funny, and he he also plays a villain on uh, Gotham. So he's, he's a guy that works a lot, but this was really a role that he just stole the show, and they amped up his role in season two without making it an overkill situation. But I, I do hope that he gets a little love. My next pick is uh, Alan Arkin, uh, The Kaminsky Method. He plays Michael 
Douglas's longtime agent. I'm saying this not just because he's a veteran who, like Douglas, will be honored simply for that, you know, a lifetime achievement. He is the king of snark, and he's great at it in this comedy. And I, when I download, when I stream... I stream for him. You guys are going to groan, but my second pick is Sean Hayes, who plays Jack on Will and Grace, and it's for one particular scene. He is in the bathroom shaving what he calls his undercarriage mm-hmm. as he's shouting and fighting with his mom on the phone about his wedding. It, I had tears streaming down my face, and he's just such a, he's such a great physical comedian, and it was just a masterclass in comedy. I enjoyed watching it enormously for that scene alone, I highly, I, and I highly recommend it. My last pick, then, is going to be Kenan Thompson from SNL. Uh, he's an Emmy favorite, and he's really, he's one of those workhorses on that show where, you know, you don't realize how important he is to the show until you go back and look and see how many sketches he's in and the different types of characters he can play. And uh, he's, you know, just somebody that's gotten a lot of Emmy love in, in recent years. All right. So for this category, we've got Henry Winkler, Keenan Thompson, Anthony Kerrigan, Alan Arkin, Sean Hayes, and Tony Hale. I, I feel pretty good about that list, although I feel like Anthony Kerrigan is a is a long yeah. shot. But I, I definitely I, I like this list. I think probably I'm dreaming about Anthony Kerrigan and we should put Tony Shalhoub in from Mrs. Maisel. He was nominated last time. He's so funny on that show. So we could either add him or sub out poor Anthony. I know that Sean Hayes is a pa- passion project of mine. I imagine that um, Titus Burgess or Alec Baldwin is going to sneak in as well. Well, look, you know, we're trying to do a little magical thinking here, you know, put some thoughts out into the universe. All right, speaking of magical thinking, uh, it's time for Let Me Plead For, and this is the people that we really want to see nominated, but may may be a little more of a long shot. Kristen, who is your Let Me Plead For? My Let Me Plead For is Chris Lowell from GLOW. Uh, He plays Glow's wealthy and carefree producer, Bash Howard. And in season one, he was really great comic relief. He does the ring announcing and he does, you know, he does it in this very sort of stream of consciousness yelling. But in season two, um, he had some really emotional moments. He had a falling out with his best friend slash soulmate, Florian, and it kind of caused him to come start confronting the truth about his own sexuality. And Lowell really brought uh, Bash's loneliness and this underlying alienation and confusion to the surface. And he also did utter one of the funniest lines of the season when he was uh, doing the commentary for one of the matches. He said, what's a mother without a child? Just a person. I agree with you. I'm so glad you brought him up. I thought his character arc was terrific last year. I thought season two of Glow was actually like leaps and bounds better than season one and it aired so long ago I hope that Emmy voters will remember it one of my favorite episodes of TV of all of 2018 was the fourth episode of Glow which centers on the characters Liberty Liberty Bell and Welfare Queen and their sort of unlikely friendship the character Welfare Queen goes to Stanford to see um, where her her son is in college and he's doing quite well and he's a bit embarrassed by her antics but her her wrestling antics but that's how she's paying to get him in college. It was so, it was, it was, and then meanwhile, um, Liberty Bell is having the fallout from her divorce. Like the whole, I'm not doing it justice. Wasn't Liberty Bell the name of Juno's younger sister and Juno? Oh God, you are testing my trivia. I'm not I sure. think it was. And that was the most unique name ever. And I only remember because I can remember Alice and Janie saying a Liberty Bell. <laughs> oh, I, th- I mean, I think so. 
Um, speaking of Alice and Janney, I'm just going to put this out in the universe right now because I loved the reenactments of All in the Family and the Jeffersons so much um, that ABC recently did. I think that Alice and Janney should play Maude for when they do reenact one of those episodes live. That'd be good. It's a great. I think it's a great idea. Lynette, who is your let me plead for in this category? Well, Henry, I know that you picked him, but uh, the Will and Grace actors just really haven't had good luck this time around with the reboot. Maybe they're getting the nods, but they're certainly not getting the wins. So I'm going to plead for Sean Hayes. I know that he was nominated seven times for playing Jack, and he only won once. But when I watch him now, I'm just completely in awe of the physical comedy that's required with playing this part. I know... At least I had initial concerns that his portrayal would seem too stereotypical gay from another day, another time. But everything he does remains contemporary and uproariously funny, and he makes me laugh every time I tune in. I agree with you wholeheartedly. He, he had a great season, and which all led up to his wedding in the finale, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going for a guy who I don't believe has been nominated before, um, Reed Scott, who plays Dan Egan on Veep, who is like the ultimate D-bag, not the actor, of course, the character, <laughs> the ultimate Washington, D.C. insider and D-bag, and sinks into that role in such an amazing, amazing, amazing way, and is uh, he provides some of the biggest, and that such a strong ensemble, and he got a comeuppance this season, which was fun to watch, and um, he also appeared on the last episode of Will and Grace, speaking of Will and Grace, as um, Grace's new potential love interest, and I hope he sticks around. He's a great, Reed Scott's a great actor, and I'd love to see him sneak in this category. I love seeing his character um, with Richard, you know, because Richard is so kind-hearted and, op- and honest, and then bouncing off Dan, who is just completely uh, manipulative and, and craven at every turn. They were really fun to watch together. All right, up next, we have got Kristen's interview with Ricky Gervais, so stay tuned for that conversation. This year, Ricky Gervais, creator of The Office, Derek, Extras, and more, returned to TV with the sweet and hilariously acerbic Netflix comedy Afterlife. Gervais stars as Tony, a suicidal widower in a small town whose plan to punish the world with brutal honesty is foiled by his friends and family who refuse to stop loving him. Ricky, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Tony's story you know, it could be set anywhere, but one of the best parts of the show is you chose to set it in this little village, you know, populated by these very sort of eccentric people who are all lovely. How did you arrive at the idea of putting him in a locale like this? I quite liked it to be uh, what would otherwise be a lovely place to live in a quite a sweet job that he enjoyed. Uh, even down to we were lucky with the weather mm-hmm. that summer in living memory. And all that was a lovely juxtaposition to the sort of darkness in his head. And all those things that you enjoy when your life's good, you hate them when your life's bad. Right. They're they're annoying. You can be in the mood for something or not in the mood for something. Um, And so, uh, and the reason I chose uh, a local paper, um, obviously there's a a slight satirical edge of, uh, of, uh, you know, a newspaper for in and particularly um, uh, now in the modern age of like clickbait and right. uh, uh, Twitter and all those things that uh, you know a free paper is like a dinosaur. <laughs> but really, the good thing about it was that 
there's nothing worse for a depressed misanthrope than to have to deal with the banality of normal life. So right. he had to deal with the public. He wanted to hide. He wanted to hide with the with the curtains drawn in his house. But um, so this was like a nightmare for him to to go out and <laughs> the general public about the most banal things, like the woman who makes uh, rice pudding with her own breast milk and all of that. Well, some of the stories uh, are sort of they were true. Um, that actually happened to a friend of mine who moved into a new house and the the next door neighbour is quite a sort of hippie-ish sort of woman um brought round a rice pudding made out of a breast milk and of course in real life my friend said thank you very much scraped it into the bin and gave her the dish back the next day and said delicious um but uh so you know a lot of those things i can't believe that's real (laughs) well and so's the vaginal yeast i saw that in a a, a women's magazine, the headline was um, uh, a Feminist of the Week, a woman makes bread out of her own vaginal yeast. And I just thought, well, I, I don't know what that's got to do with feminism, for one thing. Um, but uh, the other thing is that it's these people who shout about it, they don't need to tell anyone. Um, but uh, they certainly do. They, 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 some people live their life like an open womb. They Anything that happens, they op- they want to open a window and shout to the world. <laughs> I've just made some bread, um, <laughs> and you know that's the way of the world. And obviously, with uh, social media, everyone's a broadcaster, right? Um, so it, it, everything gets around. Everything's out there. There's no there's no there's no discretion or secrecy or uh, there's no there's no such thing as shame right anymore. you know people worked out it's just as good to be famous for being awful uh, mm-hmm. than not famous at all and I think um, people have always sort of thought like this isn't just social media right you know Oscar Wilde's famous quote you know it, if there's one thing worse than being talked about it's not being talked about right some people. A narcissist, and all Twitter does is, uh, I suppose, amplify our, our narcissism. We all sort of want to uh, be popular, and we all want want people to find us interesting. Um, uh, you know, but it, it, it's gone from cavemen uh, doing a, a handprint in woad on a cave wall, right? To people tweeting to the world everything they do and eat. Exactly. And I love that. um, One of the things I loved about the show is that it's just it's a very sweet and simple story. And it but it's so moving in its genuineness. And I, you know, speaking of Twitter, you know, there is that line that Ashley Jensen's character says to him, you're like a troll on Twitter, just because you're upset. Everyone has to be upset. It wasn't yeah. you could you could take the the themes of this show and apply it to our current, you know, what it means to be so angry and be a troll, but it wasn't overt about like hitting you over the head with the idea of like Twitter is bad or social media is bad. I mean, were you were you No. Yeah. I well, just, I mean, we we sort of we I suppose in fiction we create our own heroes and villains as role play for the soul. So we can we can go through all these emotions and we can sort of hate bad people and they get their comeuppance and we can sort of like heroes and they sort of get rewarded but it's ambiguous and what I do is sort of real so it's not clear cut I don't make my heroes perfect that's that's something for I mean drama often does drama we whitewash um, all the flaws in our hero but with comedy 
we we embrace them. That's that, that's what's good about comedy: flawed characters. And comedy at its best is saying we're all idiots, so it's all right. Yeah. And I try and do it. He's not perfect. In fact, you know, you you have to you have to show all the flavours, even on a single scene. Um, his him being him being depressed, right? Right. So, on the one hand, people want to help him, but uh, and he doesn't want it. Then, on the other hand, is he wallowing a little bit? And then, on the other hand, people say, "Oh, come on, snap out of it!" And he goes, "You know what? Screw you." So, it's a back and forth. People are complicated. Right. Um, uh, everyone's a different blend of, you know, millions and millions of traits and foibles. And so uh, uh, you don't try and make it black and white and good and evil because everyone's a bit of everything. Um, And not everything he does is right because he's not thinking straight. He's wounded. And that's another staple of comedy. You know, comedy is usually, particularly in sitcom, um, not this is a typical sitcom, but, you know, in, in comedy, it's usually about an ordinary guy or gal, right, and they're trying to do something they're not equipped to do. And that's what we laugh at. Right. And with Tony, even though he's quite a cool guy and he's smart and he's acerbic and sometimes he's right, what he's trying to do is become a badass. He's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to make himself a psychopath so he doesn't fear anymore. But he can't do it because he's basically burdened with a conscience. He's a nice bloke, really. Right. And so we sort of see him failing in that quest. Um, and that's a good thing. Because he's nice to the vulnerable. He's nice to his dog. He's nice to his nephew. He's nice to the new girl. He's nice to the old lady in the graveyard. Um, and uh, eventually, the kindness of strangers sort of brings him out of it. Right. Uh, and that's another thing that sometimes people just want to be heard. Yeah. You know, that's why people are sometimes angry and nasty. They just want to be heard. I mean, I've had uh, tweets from people. I, I rarely get a nasty tweet, surprisingly. <laughs> um, and sometimes... Sometimes people have said a nasty thing, and I thought, that's odd. And I've looked down their timeline, and, like, for the year before that, they've been sending me nice tweets, but I didn't notice them. Yeah. So they've got desperate. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've I've come back and said, why did you say that? I go, sorry, mate, I can't believe you answered me. You're a legend. I think, so again, you'd you'd rather have a bad reaction than no reaction at all. It's such an odd thing, this this fifteen seconds of fame. Exactly, what people do for it. it it's 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 fine. Tony's relationship with Lenny, uh, I loved it so sweet, and it reminded me a bit of you and Carl Pilkington <laughs> from the podcast. That's what mates do, you know. They're um, good mates are sort of brotherly, and you tease each other. I talk about it in my new stand-up that, um, you know, growing up. You, you didn't hug your mate, you didn't hug your brother, you didn't hug your dad. You insulted them, and you both laughed. That was our hug. It's play fighting. It's it's sharpening your claws for real life. And uh, I think if you mollycoddle people and just pander and just, you know, I, I, I don't think it prepares you for the real life. And, that, and that's why people are so easily offended these days. Some people expect that they can get through life without hearing anything they don't like. Right. And it's not realistic. And they think they can close everything down. They think they can censor things they don't like. And they want you to pave the jungle for them. Well, I want them to wear better boots. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, Yeah, and, and that's what mates do. 
they get each other through things. You know, they take turns in being the strong one, and then they let the other one insult them, you know, because it's, they're a stress ball. And that's what we do. That was the first time I cried watching the show is when Sandy asks Lenny, you know, why do you let Tony talk to you like that? And he says, oh, it's a, he's a mate. It distracts him. Like, there's such kindness there. Like, he knows that Tony is in pain. Yeah, I did that. I, I, and um, I think I put that in the first episode. And I didn't really even address it till the sixth episode where I say to Tony, what a mate you are you're my human stress ball yeah thanks you know i sort of appreciate it i'll never say it again let's never talk of this moment again <laughs> but it's that oh, i love you man yeah and and i don't and and uh and that would be real for me it would be odd for me to say that to a mate you know right so that that's how i do it well it feels very genuine it's a very sweet relationship I didn't know how much I missed seeing you and Ashley Jensen on screen together until, you know, she was here as Emma. Did you, when you were writing the show, did you have her in mind for this role? Everyone uh, that I cast, I cast them before I'd written the show. As soon as I thought of a character, I thought of the perfect person for it. Right. Because I've now, you know, the first thing you do, the first, well, you know, when I did The Office, um, I cast and cast because, because it's sort of based on me working in an office for 10 years. You've right. got, you've got the person in your mind and you want them to walk through the door. And that's quite naive. And so, uh, but you don't know anyone. Right. And so you've written the thing before you know who's playing it. And that's why the second series is often, uh, often better. Right. Because you suddenly know who you're writing for. Their physicality is what they can do. Are they good ad-libbers or do you have to spell it out for them? And so now I've been in the business, you know, 20 years nearly. Um, I can cast shows before I write them. Yeah. So it's so much easier. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, I think the first person I cast was Kerry, because that's the first character I came up with that wasn't mine. Um, uh, and then Tom Basden. And then as you develop it, everyone said yes as we went along. And, uh, um, yeah, I was. Uh, I, I, we were going through the, the cast were going for, through the scripts before I'd finished them. So it was, a, it was a great experience. And the same with the second one, you know. Well, and yeah, you've worked with all these people many times, so you have a good idea of what they can do. I love Tom Basden as Matt. I mean, it's such a hard role where he's trying so hard to support Tony, but he also is, you know, trying to, he has a family to protect and he's, you know, he's grieving too. And, and uh, but you guys have such great scenes together. I'm thinking particularly about, you know, when, there's this moment where Tony sort of has to confess to him, you know, that he threatened the boy with the hammer. I don't know if that was the most challenging scene to film. It was because, again, it's very delicate. It could be really cliche. It could be two people just shouting at each other mm -hmm. in a sort of melodramatic way. But what was nice about it was because we were brother-in-law and we both lost someone and we both understood each other, even like Matt and Tony were both crying. They were nearly both crying yeah. because they cared about each other. It wasn't just a, a shouting match between two enemies. That's easy. You right. don't care about it. You walk away. But this was somewhat different. This was, he was being, a, he was the adult, really. Yeah. He was the adult. I, I've seen it so many times when a, a kid runs into the road and nearly gets killed. And the, the mother grabs him. And she's angry with him, but she wants to hug him. Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. it's for his own good. He's got to be told off. He's got to be, he's got to know that was a, all that was a bad thing to do because she's, oh my God. Right. You know, so it, it's that, it's that mixed emotion. You know, you're behaving badly, but I, you don't stop 
loving someone right. when they are behaving badly. So it it was quite complex, but um, yeah, we, I think we I think we got there in the end. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, he was the sort of put upon adult, and uh, we sort of made him a little bit uncool, you know, <laughs> and like uh, because he comes round, you know, and I go, oh, right, right, when he first opens the door, and I go, he goes, I'm worried about you. I go, why? He goes. Why? Because you're always threatening to kill yourself. It's like, <laughs> why? Oh, and I like when he says, you know, that's the worst superhero I've ever heard of. You know? I, lo- I love that. I laugh when he said, when we did that scene. Yeah, it's like a superpower. That's the worst superhero I've ever heard of. It's so, <laughs> just, Marvel comic. It's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the show has already been renewed for a second season, so congratulations. It also, it has a really lovely ending, you know, to season one that feels complete. So I'm wondering from your standpoint, when you were creating it and doing these episodes, were you thinking about the possibility of a second season or were you imagining yes. it? Yes. Oh, you but were. I always, when I, I always, but I always finish it just in case. Right, I right. don't know how I'll feel. I don't know how it'll go down. I don't, I, I always round it up so it could end there if, if I died tomorrow, it could be a, a one-off miniseries. But I fell in love with the characters, and by the end of it, I had lots of ideas where it could go. So uh, it was a no-brainer, and I'd already started thinking about it. And Netflix, I mean, honestly, they'd already, you know, they let me know that they were recommissioning it before it went out, which okay. they said was unheard of. And and I and I went good because I've I've already started plotting it out and. Um, can you tease anything about season two? Well, uh, everyone's back, apart from Julian, the, the, uh, the drug addict, of course. Everyone's back. There's more people coming in to uh, add to the mix, which is very exciting. But the only spoiler I'll give is I promise the dog doesn't die. <laughs> I've been having to say that on Twitter. Oh, good. People live through Derek when uh, Ivor was put down. So I had to keep saying, honestly, honestly, that dog won't die then people send it back right he's definitely gonna die he said that he's, he's, <laughs> he's definitely gonna die. <laughs> well they should know you're an animal lover you would never intentionally kill no, a dog the themes really that a, a dog can save you and do you know what has been the most amazing thing about this I, i've never had a reaction like this genuinely and i don't just mean the size of the reaction because a lot of that is a reflection of the fact that you know netflix is the biggest broadcast in the world and when something takes off you know, it's got 150 million subscribers. It's not just the amount of people that come up to me, which is mad, yeah. but it's the intensity of the reaction. It's how it's touched people emotionally more than anything else I've ever done. And I never realized how many people were grieving. Right. Because I don't talk about it. But honestly, everyone who comes up to me, like, as I walk down the street, people go, um, I say, loved afterlife. And then I'd say one in five say, uh, oh, it was it was tough for me because I lost my mum like mm. three weeks before, or I lost my dad, or I lost my partner, and I go, oh, sorry, it's it's incredible because you just don't you don't think about it, right? But of course, of course, everyone's lost someone uh, recently or in the past, or you know, and um, uh, it, it's it's really flattering. They said it was really it was helpful, or it was really sweet, or you got it just right, right. Or, and not just grieving. People saying, "I suffer from depression," or "I, you know, did this or did that." And um, uh, yeah, you, and they say, "Yeah, you got it just right." Um, so uh, that's the loveliest part of this. That's I great. Think. Um, it... uh, so yeah, uh, and I just think 
uh, I've always discussed taboo subjects. I've, I've discussed mm-hmm. it always in my, in my stand-up. Everything I've ever done has been about real life. And real life is about ups and downs. Yeah. You know, no one wants to hear about a perfect life. No one wants to hear a comedian tell you what a great day they had. It's boring. <laughs> That's you know, true. everyone wants to see things that they're going through. Right. Um, and uh, and I think people start off with all these good intentions. They say, right, I'm going to do something that's really real, right? It's uncompromised. Right. Um, we're going to go places never been before. And they start doing that. Then the broadcaster says, oh, if you know, if you tone down the swearing, we can put it out earlier. Or uh, you do that, we get complaints. They're very militant. Those da, da, da. Right. And people start going, oh, okay. And they start compromising. And soon it's anodyne, watered down, and just like everything else. And um, you've got a really, you've got to stick to your guns and go, no, this will be fine. This will be fine. Right. You know, there's enough people out there to go, why are we second-guessing adults? Well, it's mad. Exactly. You know, it, it's really weird because... People talk about these things in their private life and on building sites and on buses, right? And then we think, oh, they can't watch it on telly, though. It'd be too devastating. It's a mad thing to think. Well, and there was there was some blowback when you're when Tony calls <laughs> calls that little boy. Yeah. He has the exchange yeah. about the I'm not a pedo. That was hilarious, and it was also like I don't know what people were upset about. I guess that the child had to hear the word. Yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, obviously. And, you know, people don't understand filming. They don't understand that that's why it cuts to my close-up. You're right, right. The kid wasn't wasn't there when I said it. And, you know, <laughs> the, the, the parents read the script and everything. And also, uh, of course, Tony says a terrible thing. They're right. He's trying to be a badass. He's trying to be a psychopath. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, like real superhero films, <laughs> he, he starts going too far. Right. And we start losing sympathy for him. If you, you, however bad you're feeling, you shouldn't threaten a ten-year-old kid with a hammer. No, you know? <laughs> that's a, that's the line you should probably draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My last question, because I'm sure you're very busy, but I, you know, we talked a little bit about the the stories that Tony covers, and you know, like the breast milk one was true, and um, I have to know, how do you find parents who are willing to dress their baby like Hitler for a TV show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's probably an agency for that sort of thing. Um, you tell them the gag, tell them everything about it. They're there, they're there on the day. Why not? Why not? I mean that that scene is so funny. But of course that is that is obviously um, taking it to the extreme, satirising right. what people in real life will do right. to get into the local paper. Of course, and worse. And worse. and worse. He did make a very cute little Hitler. He was adorable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a weird thing to Every, say. Everyone's cute when they're a kid. <laughs> That's everyone's true. We probably be careful what we say from now on. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed the show and I'm excited for season two. And uh, I hope that uh, the Emmys take notice and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. That was a pleasure. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever your podcasts are potted. 
If you don't like it or just want to talk about the Emmys, tweet at us. I'm Kristen G. Baldwin, and my partners in crime are at Lynette Rice and at Henry Goldblatt. Let us know what you think and join us again next week.